0: Welcome to the Computational Antitrust Podcast. My name is Thibaut Schreppel. I'm a faculty affiliate at Stanford University Codex Center and the creator of the Computational Antitrust Project, which explores how legal informatics can benefit antitrust law. The project brings together over 65 competition agencies and 35 academics in the advisory board. Each month or so, we publish an academic article on the subject of computational antitrust. You may find them at computationalantitrust.com. Today I am thrilled to be receiving Kerry Kolyanisi, who co-authored the paper for us entitled Antitrust by Algorithm, together with Alicia Ley. Kerry is a Professor of Law and Director of the Penn Programme on Regulation at the University of Pennsylvania Law School. Alicia is a judicial law clerk at the United States Court of Appeal for the Federal Circuit. So without further ado, let's get started. Uh, Kerry, welcome. Uh, I suppose that you are uh, tuning in from uh, Penn. Um, and um, I'm very jealous. We, we discussed of the podcast, uh, you know, the Philly cheesesteak and all that. I, I love your city so much. So I hope we can meet in person very soon. But going back to our subject, could you first summarize the, the key takeaways of your paper in just two or three minutes?
1: Well, thank you very much for the opportunity to be here and, uh, and thank you also for acknowledging Alicia Lay's uh, critical role as co-author on this piece. Uh, very briefly, uh, we're in a, a much changing economic environment today. The market is growing more complex, more multifaceted, and that means uh, there are, I think, uh, challenges for competition authorities to identify anti-competitive behavior. Uh, To meet those challenges, antitrust authorities will need to rely, I think, increasingly on the very kinds of technologies that are prevalent in the private sector, uh, but use those technologies to improve the work that antitrust authorities need to do. Uh, And and this paper uh, makes that argument uh, about a shift to antitrust by algorithm, and then highlights key organizational Uh, legal, and uh, overall uh, public uh, confidence-boosting challenges that antitrust authorities will face in moving toward uh, antitrust by algorithm.
0: Yeah, so to quote a rock band that I'm not a big fan of, actually, but I suppose the idea is to fight fire with fire. Is that right?
1: That's right. I mean, it's a little bit like uh, thinking about uh, police officers trying to uh, monitor and oversee Traffic on freeways by still using uh, horses and buggies, right? Uh, you know, when the economy shifts to a new technology, uh, government needs to keep pace with that. Uh, in an earlier article, I, I, I articulated how, in many ways, the entire economy is shifting toward a, a much more optimizing mode, using technologies to make much more precision decisions. And we see this in a large variety of areas and a large range of regulatory concerns beyond competition policy. Uh, But government then needs to become a more optimizing uh, operation as well uh, to keep pace. Uh, That's really what we're talking about here is keeping pace with uh, the changing tools and techniques and and modes of of economic uh, activity.
0: You know... It's funny because I'm reminded of a few uh, villages in South France, where I'm from, where they do have horses actually, right? So the police is still using those. <laughs> I do wonder what's the goal, but maybe just for the beauty of it. But so moving on to, to the markets, and and you already mentioned that, that word of complexity, and that's a point that you make in the article early on. And it, it seems that indeed, we see that there are more transactions than ever, and that for each of those transactions, as a company you need to actually rely on more business interactions than what used to be the case right so this in my view captures this idea of complexity uh, which means that the more there is the more i mean the harder it becomes to detect and analyze and understand the practices and i think you capture that very well when mentioning and, and explaining the functioning of pricing algorithms which as we know may decide on the price based on numerous uh, factors instead of just you know one person choosing the, the price on her or his own. So um, um, c- could you could you summarize evidence of that increasing complexity on the market? What's what's your take on that?
1: Well, you see the, the complexity manifesting itself in a range of areas. Um, firms today are engaged in much more complex supply chains. Uh, they are outsourcing more Even their workforces now are not uh, internal, Uh, so there's a a larger networked set of um, arrangements uh, that previously might have taken place largely uh, under the same uh, organizational structure. We see an increase in the number of mergers and acquisitions, uh, the deal complexity, uh, to these M&As are uh, uh, evident. Um, we see digitization, new technologies relying on uh, these digital tools to, to become more precise, to, to engage in this more optimizing uh, behavior. Um, there's um, uh, an increase in the number of technology transfer agreements. We can see this manifesting in a number of ways. You talked about uh, how in the paper we use algorithmic pricing um strategies as an example and you know it 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 does exemplify i think the the nature of of business today platforms can uh change their prices in a way that the old brick and mortar retail operations you know had to actually send a worker out on the shelves and take the 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 price labels off of the products and relabel them right that, that's not necessary uh, in, in, a, in a platform operation today. And so uh, with the digitization of, of a lot of uh, business transactional work and uh, the use of artificial intelligence tools by private sector firms, it's possible now to, uh, to get really close to some, something like perfect price discrimination uh, and maybe you know, in many cases, this is valuable and it promotes consumer welfare. Uh, we don't we don't want to be misconstrued to say that this complexity is necessarily bad or necessarily always anti-competitive, but it does make it, I think, much more challenging for competition authorities to d- differentiate between those business practices that are uh, welfare enhancing and those that are uh, anti-competitive. It makes it, I think, much uh, more challenging to identify collusive behavior, which always was something that that people would engage in in a way that tries to evade detection. But that complexity, I think, makes uh, evasion um, more uh, likely. Uh, it makes detecting uh, anti-competitive behavior much more challenging, and that's, that's the fundamental um, and you know, problem that I think uh, you know, antitrust authorities face, and that they can help solve by adopting some of these same algorithmic artificial intelligence tools that the private sector is adopting.
0: And uh, and I suppose that more is coming, right? When when teaching about those issues, I always take the example of two supermarkets pricing uh, orange juice you know, uh, 2 euro a bottle from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. and just 1 euro for the rest of the day, right? And I'm surprised that to some degree they don't engage in in those practices, at least not in Europe. And indeed, then, would it be pro-competitive? Would it be anti-competitive? What's the analysis? We face lots of, you know, issues in those markets and and I'm sure that we're going to see more of those. That's why I'm excited about computational antitrust. And in fact, something that you, you defend in the article and I very much agree with you is that regardless of the objective, uh, that And the direction that you may want to to take in the space of antitrust, whether it is just consumer wealth standards or maybe total welfare or the, the welfare of workers and environmental values, I think computational tools can help. Um, and based on, on this idea, you actually make a point that um, so an, computational antitrust can help all agencies, but also it may mean that all agencies will need to actually be discussing some core issues uh, one would be uh, the legislative authority that you may have to to use those tools. And you make a point that it will actually change the substantive nature of what antitrust law is in the future. So as we know, prediction is hard, especially when it's about the future, as Yogi Berra once said, but can you extend a little bit on this idea of how using those tools, which again, all agencies may wanna do, will impact the actual substance of what antitrust is? Well,
1: I, I think, you know, we are fairly agnostic in this particular paper about the direction that antitrust law should take in terms of substantive changes. But clearly, uh, there are signs uh, on the horizon uh, and and various proposals and some, some of them being adopted in some countries about uh, various uh, conduct requirements, for example, whether it's uh, Uh, rules against self-preferencing, or rules about uh, data sharing or interoperability, Uh, we can see, I think, the likelihood that there will be substantive changes. However, I think regardless of what the substantive direction antitrust law takes in the years ahead, it will remain the case that antitrust authorities will always have limited uh, oversight resources and a vast number of transactions and firms to monitor. And uh, one of the, I think, uh, uh, prevailing uses uh, and, and, quite frankly, a great opportunity for antitrust regulators and regulators of all kind is to, to be able to optimize their oversight resources better uh, determining which firms and which transactions to look at, uh, if, if, if this is this is likely to exist no matter what uh, the direction of the substantive law uh, might be in the years ahead.
0: Yeah, indeed. And so based on this idea, onto the, the things that we should think about right now in 2022, you mentioned the need to build organizational capacity. That's one avoiding the legal pitfalls, that's two, and establishing public trust, that's three. So if that's okay with you, I'd like to discuss those three topics because I think they are indeed central and we we can't afford not to discuss one of those. Uh, So starting with the idea of uh, organizational capacity, you stress that, and I quote you here, legislators or antitrust agencies will need to establish legal requirements for data sharing to ensure that all firms provide necessary data access to antitrust authorities. Do you have in mind a API of some sort that will send data directly from the firm to agencies or do you have another mechanism in mind here?
1: Well, if if we do preface that sentence by saying perhaps more likely uh, that will be the case. Uh, So, (laughs) uh, uh, you know, let me just say that, you know, these, Algorithmic tools that would make up the new uh, operational world of of antitrust uh, depend on on large amounts of data, right? So this is a necessary condition for uh, government competition authorities to rely themselves on uh, algorithmic tools. So where does the data come from? Well, some of it might come uh, in in the future from uh, direct case-specific uh, agreements, settlement agreements, uh, following some traditional enforcement action. Some of it might be provided voluntarily by firms, but we think uh, it is more likely that uh, in the future... Even, even if the substantive standards remain the same, there will likely need to be some kind of regulatory change, whether by legislative action or uh, by a rulemaking from the agencies themselves that would require uh, some degree of information provision. Now, how this plays out might depend on the, 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 the priorities for for temporal currency of the data, so um, uh, one could imagine at the at the limit some kind of real time a- APIs that would provide real ta- time data streams from uh, you know let's say a platform firm to the government regulator. We actually are seeing this sort of thing uh, in a number of other regulatory contexts where regulators are starting to think about well should we have for example real-time access to data streams from offshore oil and gas drilling operations I know you're uh, talking to me today from Amsterdam and you've got a you know a few of those uh, those oil platforms off the the shoreline there um, and, and 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 such real-time data sharing could be uh, really, you know, perhaps a decade down the road, perhaps a couple of decades down the road, really where we end up with with the antitrust authorities as well. That would require some kind of legislative or regulatory action to set set those arrangements up. But somehow you do have to figure out a way of getting getting the data. Uh, you know, historically, uh, you know, if you go go back a few decades, uh, data. Uh, we're, were requested often sometimes in, in manual form. We had to actually take it off of paper. But obviously, we're in an entirely new world today, and we need to think about ways that, um, that antitrust authorities can have access to the necessary data to do their work.
0: Yeah, and that's something that I thoroughly enjoyed in your paper, that is that you explore outside of antitrust, you know, what has been done by different agencies and governmental bodies and try to 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 show us, right, that um, all the parts of the law and all the parts of the administration are moving. And so maybe, you know, we can draw inspiration out of this. And I do wonder if in the United States, uh, let's say the FTC or DOJ and Division could actually take the data out of a, another uh, governmental body and use this, because we know that, you know, the data, the financial data, the 10Ks or the data in the end of data protection agency, Could be valuable when it comes to antitrust, but depending on each country in Europe, you know, each country will have different rules. And in some countries, you could actually combine the data, in other countries, you cannot do it. But what's the state of all that in the US? Well, you know, part of it also depends
1: ultimately on what is the problem or the purpose for which one is seeking data, right? And it's so maybe that uh, certainly. Data that are already provided to other government agencies might provide good proxies for identifying possible, uh, 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 you know, firms that are that might be engaged in some kind of anti-competitive behavior. If and, and those those other data may be sufficient to do sort of a first cut, um, uh, you know, screening of of, of firms. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't, I don't think we need to always have the top of the line access to make an incremental improvement. It may be that um, uh, if we have just some, some initial screening where humans are still in the loop, uh, right, um, that we can rely on some other data that, that might have some noise to it, but, but that noise, um, you know, is, is less of an issue if it's, if, it, if the if the data and the algorithm processing the data are not being used to determine any legal judgments, but simply to help guide uh, the regulator in making some discretionary decisions about where to look, for example.
0: Yes, indeed. And, uh, and, and it seems that the, the nosier system will be a system without data, right? Where you would just rely on instinct. So sure, there are problems, but, you know, it, we might be in a better position with nosy data sets of course we have to clean that and do the best we can but then then nothing at all
1: exactly i mean i think you know there's a lot of folks who are critical of artificial intelligence tools and and certainly there are limitations to them and they can also result in errors and biases and so forth but i always say you have to ask compared to what and humans right now uh have a lot of errors and biases associated with them, and their instinctual judgments too. So, if we can make, uh, you know, some kind of incremental or marginal improvement over the status quo, that's a good thing.
0: Yeah, and and again, the ultimate black box is the human brain, right? So, I'm reminded of a few documentaries that I that I've seen recently uh, discussing face recognition and the fact that it wouldn't work properly with black people, but actually, we were able to identify why because when they train those systems, they forgot to include you know, uh, faces of black people. So then you actually can identify and potentially remedy. Of course, it's not perfect, but again, it might be better than just having someone at the door saying whether or not you can enter the club. right? So indeed, as opposed to what is always very interesting. Right, exactly, exactly. Alicia and I have another
1: paper called Algorithm versus Algorithm. And we're yeah. basically comparing human algorithms uh, to digital ones. And if we can do better, then we should go forward. And I think that's certainly the case in the antitrust area as well.
0: Yeah, I like that paper also very much. So I'm glad that you mentioned it. Uh, Moving on to the second issue um, uh, that we should be discussing, the one of legal pitfalls. You say that, and here again, I quote you, if antitrust and consumer protection agencies demand disclosure of information related to private firms' use of of algorithm, they might reasonably expect that the public will demand similar disclosures of their own use of algorithms. I think this is this is central and, and something that some agencies are not willing to discuss, but I think we have to. So my question is, what do you think will be a reasonable solution here? Does, do it, does it mean that we need to force agencies to disclose some data, all the data, part of the algorithm, the entire algorithm, um, and knowing, of course, that the balance, just to make it clear, is that On the one hand, there is a risk of adversity, right? Because if you disclose everything, then the companies can tailor anti-competitive behaviors around it. On the other hand, if it's fully opaque, then, you know, when it comes to uh, access to justice and fairness this is not a position in, in, in which we want to be so how do we do it what is what is reasonable here in your opinion okay well i think it's a
1: great question and 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 really fundamental institutional challenge which is one of the reasons why we we're, we're highlighting it in the context of of some of the legal risks that the antitrust authorities might face or at least need to manage and be mindful of if and shifting to algorithms but like with anything it it will depend in the first instance, on what the the particular system is that one's talking about and what it's doing. Again, if it's simply um, a pre-screening that then directs uh, you know, humans to go and do some direct inquiry and analysis of their own, um, then maybe maybe we really don't need to to worry at all uh, about uh, the the disclosure too much. If there's some kind of you know validation that uh that, that that follows from from whatever the algorithm flags but the more determinant the algorithm will be uh, then i think the greater the questions will uh, arise in the courts uh, and in the public's mind about uh, how how they're operating and how this black box is working um, now you know, I don't think that that means necessarily that everything has to be disclosed. And I think certainly in the the context of algorithms that are being used for law enforcement purposes, as you say, I mean, too much disclosure uh, can be uh, problematic and allow firms to game them and and evade uh, the algorithm. So um, I think that there are Happy mediums, uh, that, that there's some information about these algorithms that it should be unproblematic for, for government agencies to disclose uh, their basic purpose, uh, maybe the validation methods that the government agency has used and the results uh, or at least some affirmation of the results of those validation efforts could be disclosed. Uh, there's also the possibility of um, of creating some kind of uh, confidential agreements around a peer review process, so that uh, even if the working of the algorithm, uh, f- for the very reasons that we've been talking about, ought not to be fully disclosed to the industry, lest it, you know, facilitate evasion. Uh, nevertheless, the government agency could could say, well, look, we have. Um, Shared the algorithm, how it operates uh, in a confidential manner, with some third-party uh, experts, and uh, they've reviewed it. Um, there are, you know, uh, opportunities in court for uh, judges to look at uh, evidence in camera to uh, to protect the confidentiality of information. So I think these these issues can be managed with some selective. Uh, uh, disclosure, but also some validation efforts. And sometimes those validation efforts might have to be done under appropriate confidentiality agreements. But I think it's it's very clear that as much as antitrust today is a hot issue with the public, well, the, the fairness and operation of artificial intelligence is also a, a hot issue too. And um, antitrust authorities entering this realm will need to give some thought to how they will justify uh, the systems that they build uh, to the broader public, but also, quite frankly, to the to the industries that they oversee as well, uh, who will necessarily, I think, be uh, concerned about uh, how they operate and, and will be the ones who will be likely to, to, to take the agencies to court. So, uh, you know, th- th- this is not an area that should be, I think, uh, pursued by any uh competition authority lightly Uh, um you know it's it's something that really requires some deliberation some planning and some careful uh attention to validation efforts
0: yeah so as you mentioned antitrust is hot um the use of machine learning and ai is also hot so this makes our conversation super hot i believe right (laughs) that's right too Um hot to touch (laughs) (laughs) So I do have a super hot last question to, to ask you, or almost the last question um, onto the third point, the one to ensure public trust. So you highlight that agencies may want to start small, gaining experience where computational tools, um, uh, where the stakes are low, instead of you know going after the, the, the big fishes right away. And so you go, on, you go on saying that an idea could be for government officials to consult with members of the public to provide transparency about the plans and see whether or not people think it's a good idea, should we explore, should we investigate or not? So, concrete question, I suppose, will be here: what What should they consult about? I know that some antitrust agencies are listening to us, so if they are willing to take action in the space, where should they start?
1: Well, I think they, you know, should start with some discussion about the overall purpose and uh, how and, and, and how the the competition authority should uh, demonstrate the success uh, or or failure for that matter of any uh, algorithmic tool it, it it's very um much uh, you know a real possibility that government authorities could look to use these tools for one purpose and overlook some side effects or some uh, some some blind spots uh, that might be created. and that's why I think a, 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 a some robust public discussion can be helpful uh, to 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 counteract some of the inherent limitations that that humans have to uh, to approach uh, their tasks with 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 limited vision. Um, you know the, the way algorithms operate is they have to be defined by a particular objective. and uh, regulators will often, focus with one objective in mind, but then run the risk of overlooking that there are multiple objectives, actually, when it, when it comes to public policy. I mean, you were mentioning it earlier. What is the nature of the welfare? Is it consumer welfare? Is it overall welfare? Is it labor environment? And so forth. So, you know, the, the design of, of algorithmic tools forces, Uh, government authorities to ask the big questions. What's the nature of the problem we're trying to solve? And that's, I think, a conversation that should definitely involve the public.
0: Yeah, and that's, for me, the beauty of the subject, right? So, indeed, if we are forced to conduct retrospective studies to try to understand if what we do is effective or not, then we are forced to ask, indeed, the big question what is success and what is failure. And for that, you need to say, what's the goal, right? So it's clearly full circle. And we come back to to indeed the very beginning of our conversation, how the use of those tools could actually impact the substance by making us think about what we want to achieve, right? And antitrust and what's possible for us to achieve. Um, I do want to ask my final impossible question that I ask all our guests here. Where do you think we'll be in 10 years from now in terms of what's possible to achieve in the space of antitrust using computational tools? Well, you know, I guess I would
1: say uh, two things. First, we might well not be that much farther ahead, but I hope we're not farther behind, right? So th- that's sort of the point here is that uh, if antitrust authorities don't think about uh, what you're calling computational antitrust, or I've called with this article antitrust by algorithm, if they're not going to enter the game, they're going to be left behind right? So I hope that 10 years from now, uh, competition authorities are able to provide the same degree of oversight of markets that they can provide today or have been able to provide, uh, but yet in a much more challenging environment. So I, so I hope we don't get go, go, go backwards. Um, the second I would say is I hope that 10 years from now, we could answer your question a little bit better. And by that, I simply mean, that by thinking harder along the lines that you just mentioned about what are the real problems and the purposes, the the, the discipline that algorithmic tools in some sense force humans to uh, uh, to engage in, to think clearly and precisely about their objectives, hopefully will make us a little better able to define success. And second, we might also then have a lot more data uh, where we can actually uh, uh, assess how well we're doing uh, on a number of different objectives. So um, maybe that's not the, the most precise answer, but I do hope that we're not left behind, and I do hope that we'll be in a better position to define success and know how, we're, how well we're doing.
0: So I do have one extra comment, and I will give you a chance to, to react. It seems to me that some agencies are indeed very scared of being left behind and that their way of approaching the field is now to regulate ex ante. The, The assumption, I suppose, being that if we get rid of practices even before they are being implemented, then there are less practices to detect and therefore you kind of solve the issue, right? But I'm not quite sure if the companies will decide not to infringe whether it is intentional or not, those ex ante regulations. So it seems to me that in any case, you go back to the need to use those tools because you will want to detect if companies are infringing ex-anti-regulations on top of competition law. So indeed, I think we really have no choice but to go in this direction. But is there anything you want to say? Because it might be quite controversial to discuss the DMA and what's coming in the US, so I want to give you a shot.
1: Well, I like to say that what regulators broadly are engaged in, and I think this is true in the antitrust realm as well, is they're managing problems. Uh, You know, we would like to see that we can eliminate problems, we can eliminate risks from from economic activity, but really the only way to be totally sure that we can eliminate problems would be to engage in some kind of blunt uh, legal uh, control and and simply outlaw certain uh, uh, behaviors or conduct or activities. So, I mean, I, we, I mentioned the, the oil development off uh, the shoreline there in, in Amsterdam, for example, if you wanna make sure there's no oil spill, then just don't have any offshore oil and gas exploration and development, right? And, and, and I think in the antitrust realm, I mean, the way you wanna make sure there's no anti-competitive behavior in the world of new technology and platforms and digital transactions and so forth, Well, we just won't allow any of that to happen, but there's trade-offs, right? And if we were to engage in that kind of blunt uh, regulatory reaction, uh, we could impede innovations that would be better for society, that would improve consumer welfare, would make, uh, work practices safer, more efficient, uh, better for, for workers in many ways and, and, and could help the environment. There's a whole whole host of goals that technology can help us with. And if we just sort of block them all together, uh, reactively, we'll, you know, we'll lose out on that. So that's a, that's a cost. And I think the the way around this is to, to regulate smartly, uh, you know, to, to up the capacity and the ability for government authorities, competition authorities in this case, to oversee the markets, to be able to make sure that we can get the benefits that come uh, to society from technological innovation and, and innovations in business practices, uh, without the the costs and the and the negative consequences. So we've got to be smart, and that's uh, you know that's it. It puts a lot on regulators. It's challenging time. But I think we can do it and we have to start thinking about ways of using the same kind of tools that the private sector is using to improve their game, uh, to improve the game and the performance of government regulators.
0: Yes, thanks a lot. You just mentioned one of my favorite words that is trade-off, right? And I think your paper does a fantastic job at exploring the trade-off and putting that on the table so that indeed, as you just mentioned, We can think about how to become smart. I like that very much. So on that good word, uh, thank you very much, Kerry, for such a great conversation. I hope again to see you around the Philly cheesesteak next time uh, in in the US. And uh, yes, take care. See you soon. Bye-bye.
1: You're welcome. Thank you.